I want to start with uh, a story I did recently. As Carla mentioned, I am a news journalist with NBC4, and this is one of the favorite, my favorite stories that uh, I've ever done. I'm going to have Lisa Ann put up a picture of nine-year-old Alexis Lagrega uh, of Staten Island, New York. She's here with her, her big sister. She, 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 first of all, she loves Disney, all things Disney, loves Disneyland, loves Disney World, uh, Disney theme parks, Disney movies. Um, she has a condition called uh, microtia. You might be able to notice her, her right ear is not fully formed. And she told me that, you know, most, most of the time her friends, uh, people around her are very supportive, but occasionally she does, does get asked, well, what's with your ear? What, what happened to your ear? And that makes her a little sad. Uh, but worse than that, her family a year ago went to the Disney store on Staten Island and she was refused entry. The store requires that you wear a mask that you loop over your ears, like a surgical mask or a KN95 mask. And Alexis's mom tried to explain, well, she can't wear that type of mask. She was wearing a neck gaiter, you know, the kind that you wear on your neck and you lift up. She can't wear that kind of mask because of her condition, but the Disney store still refused to let her in. And uh, Alexis's mom filed a complaint with Disney, but... Disney corporate wouldn't budge either. Um, so normally, when I cover these types of stories, it results in lawyers and lawsuits. Uh, but something remarkable happened after that. There was an organization called the Small Wonders Foundation. They heard about Alexis' story, and they flew Alexis to Beverly Hills, where the family and Alexis met a surgeon named Dr. John Reinish. Now, Dr. John Reinish has performed hundreds of reconstructive surgeries on girls and boys just like Alexis. And we want to show the next picture now. This is Alexis with her new ear. Dr. Reinish uh, fashioned her new ear out of polyethylene and tissue from her scalp. Isn't that amazing? And now Alexis can wear a mask over her ears just like everybody else. Now, to me, this is a great example of peacemaking. Because the Small Wonders Foundation took uh, what could have been a situation that was made worse by acrimony and, and, and conflict and brought peace to it. And it made me think uh, peacemaking, peace is, is so elusive these days, isn't it? We have so much conflict in our world, in our country, in our families, amongst our friends, and in our workplaces. And most of us say we want peace, but a lot of us have different ideas of what that peace is and different ideas as to how to get there. But what we want to talk about this morning is that God has a different kind of peace than the peace we think of. God has a peace that transcends all of that. And he wants to equip us with that peace, and he wants to equip us to be peacemakers. Hence our passage for today from Matthew 9, verse 5. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let's pray over this word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these beautiful words that you put in the Bible. We thank you for the truth of them. We thank you for the nourishment that comes from them. We pray that this morning that 
They grow our minds and they enlighten our hearts to the loving God that you are. And that we learn even more what it means to be a true peacemaker. In Jesus' name, amen. As Pastor Ben uh, mentioned last week, the Beatitudes, and you've been going over all the Beatitudes, uh, they come as one set. They are not eight different categories of people. They are one set of characteristics for one group of people, the children of God. So when we accept Christ, when we decide to follow him, when we take him into the heart, our hearts, the Beatitudes are the gifts. They are the awakenings that come with that. Now, of course, we're a work in process. Paul said that, the Apostle Paul said, we are works until the day of completion, until heaven comes again in the form of Jesus' return. But these are gifts, these are awakenings because when we accept Christ, when we follow him, he gives us a new heart. He gives us the Holy Spirit, which enables us to be more like him. And Jesus was definitely, and is definitely, a peacemaker. So let's talk about this morning. What, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Because the Bible, there are more than 400 references in the Bible to God being a God of peace and God caring about peace. In Luke chapter two, when Jesus was born, angels appeared and said, peace on earth. In John chapter 14, Jesus himself said, peace I give you and peace I leave with you. But he also said, I do not give as the world gives. Meaning the peace that Jesus gives is different from the type of peace that the world gives. And we wanna look over that today. We want to look at what is worldly peace or what some call cultural peace and what is the peace that Jesus gives, that God gives, what we're calling kingdom peace. And what does it mean to be kingdom peacemakers, true peacemakers? What is worldly peace? What is kingdom peace? And what does it mean to be peacemakers? First, what is worldly peace? Now again, most people say that they want peace. Even people going to war will say they want peace. Vladimir Putin says he wants peace. And his idea of peace is to eliminate what he perceived to be a threat in Ukraine. And that is Pastor John Tyson of New York. That's what, what he defines as cultural peace or worldly peace. This is peace that is defined by eliminating the threat. You achieve peace by uh, eliminating the threat, the source of agitation or the source of conflict or potential conflict. It could be a person, it could be a group, it could be an opinion, it could be an idea. One example of that is what we might call cancel culture today. Now I wanna be really careful when I talk about the term cancel culture because the Bible tells us that words do hurt, words do do damage. Proverbs 18 says, the tongue can be a source of life and of death. People do need to be held accountable for their words and there need to be consequences sometimes for hurtful words. But cultural peace says we just eliminate the threat. We cancel them, we cast them off, we make sure they don't do any more damage. 
But what happens when they do that, when we do that? What happens to the person who is fired or canceled or cast off or made a pariah? That person now feels like, quite often, they have an enemy. They have an enemy of the person that cast them off. And what happens when people who feel like they have been canceled or cast off or made pariahs? They will feel in common that they have an enemy. You know, we who cast them off feel like we made peace, but they who have been cast off feel like they can make peace by eliminating their enemy. And repeat that one more time. You know, we who cast them off feel like we made peace by eliminating them or canceled them, and now they have the desire to make peace by making us their enemy. The social psychologist Jonathan Haidt calls this common enemy politics. Now you have peace when you have identified as a group, you've identified a common enemy, identified yourself as a victim. What's happening to me, what's happening to us is because of that person or that group of people. But of course we know that that can lead to demonization, it can lead to dehumanization. Nelson Mandela said this, he said, when we demonize and dehumanize our opponents, we abandon the possibility of peacefully resolving the situation and even justify violence against them. Does that sound familiar? Uh, recently, I've been, well, not just recently, the last few months, I've been covering the, the Will Smith controversy. And I'm guessing most of you know that. And Will Smith, uh, after Chris Rock made a joke about his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith's lack of hair at the Oscars, Will Smith walked on stage and, and slapped Chris Rock. And no one, and everyone, everyone completely agrees that what Will Smith did was wrong, that there was no justification for, for hitting someone like that. Uh, but in, in interviewing uh, entertainment analysts and experts, uh, they were telling me that, that the industry has come to, to two sides on this. There's one side who feels Will Smith should be canceled. You know, he's done. I'm never going to watch a Will Smith movie again. I interviewed comedians who are like, yep, throw the book at him. They said, as comedians, we should be able to say whatever we want. And then there's another side that says, what Will Smith did was clearly wrong, but... At the same time, Chris Rock can't claim 100% victimhood because he's made jokes that, that are insensitive and sometimes racist. And I interviewed a, a person who suffers from alopecia, the same condition as Jada Pickett Smith. And she said she thought the penalty for Will Smith was too harsh. Uh, he was banned from the Academy for 10 years and he resigned from the Academy uh, as well. So it struck me this week, uh, Will Smith posted a video on Instagram. This is the first time we saw him in person, actually, uh, apologize in person. And he looked at the camera and he said, I apologize to you, Chris Rock, and I'm ready to talk when you are ready. And I can't help but think of the wholeness and healing that could come from that conversation. And not only for the two of them, but for them to come out together speak to both of their fans because they have lined up pro Chris and pro Will and what that could do for, for wholeness and healing in the larger community. That, to me, is a step toward kingdom peacemaking. 
And let's talk about kingdom peacemaking. Because kingdom peacemaking is in our passage here. Let's go back to our passage. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, it's important to remember that when Jesus spoke these words on the Sermon of the Mount, to remember who he was speaking to. I mean, these were people who thought the Messiah was going to be a military conqueror, a military leader who was going to vanquish their enemies. They remembered the Maccabean War when the Jewish people rose up and overthrew the existing authorities, and they ruled for a time, so they eliminated their enemies. That was peace to them, and they thought Jesus was going to do the same and overthrow the Roman government, which was oppressing them, and he was going to establish peace that way. But Jesus, he had a different peace in mind. It was a peace not about eliminating your enemies. It was a peace not just about the absence of conflict, but a peace of inclusion. A kingdom peace is a peace of inclusion. It's a peace of God's presence. James 3 says the wisdom that comes from above is at first pure, then peaceful. What does that mean? It's at first pure, then peaceful. What does it mean? A a pure peace, a kingdom peace. Well, the uh, theologian Cornelius Plantinga put it this way. Shalom, which is God's peace, we have the quote here. Shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. Martin Luther King called this the beloved community. It's based on what Jesus says later in Matthew 5. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and you may be children so that you may be called children of your Father in heaven. What Jesus is describing is agape love. It's a type of love that doesn't distinguish between worthy and unworthy people. It doesn't distinguish between friends and enemies. What it does is it seeks to create true human community. This was the early church in the book of Acts. The early church was was as diverse a community as the world has ever seen, and it brought together people who would never be together, Jews and Gentiles and tax collectors and zealots. It brought people who were marginalized and ignored, women and the poor. That's how justice and fulfillment and delight exist together. That is kingdom, kingdom peace. A peace, a community that's formed around a single thing. And that's Jesus, the living God. Ephesians 2 says Jesus is our peace. He has destroyed the wall of hostility between peoples and brought one new humanity. He reconciled us to God through his death on the cross. But kingdom peace comes with a cost. And being kingdom peacemakers comes with a cost. There is an organization in the Middle East called the uh, Parents Circle Family Forum. And it's a collection of more than 600 families, all of whom have lost a loved one to the ongoing conflict. And it's based on this idea that Israelis and Palestinians and all those in the Middle East share a common humanity. It's based on the idea that a Palestinian parent's suffering is no less and no greater 
than Israeli parents suffering. Two stories struck me in particular. One is of a Palestinian farmer uh, whose family owned land in the West Bank for more than 100 years, but he was surrounded by Israeli settlements who uh, cut off his access road and cut off his utilities. But he said he refused to give in to hate, and he refused to think of the Israelis as enemies. And there's another story of of a Palestinian mother who lost her son to an Israeli sniper. And when the Israeli soldiers came to tell her, this is what she said. She said, you must not take another life in the name of my son. This group together also uh, donates blood together, Israelis and Palestinians, with the idea that if we are sharing and carrying each other blood, you're much less likely to want to kill me. That's kingdom peace. That's kingdom peacemaking. One of my other favorite stories that I've ever covered uh, is the story of Luke Maxwell and Lenny Ross. I have a picture of myself and Luke and Lenny. Uh, Luke is the younger kid on the, on the right in the blue shirt. Lenny is in the middle. In 2012, Luke was suffering from depression and he decided he was going to end his life. And the way he decided to do it, he was going to go full speed, drive onto the freeway in the opposite direction, and collide head-on into another car. And he did just that. And that other car in that other SUV was Lenny Ross. And they both wound up in the hospital. Now, in the days that followed, Lenny got all sorts of calls from lawyers telling him to sue the pants off Luke and his family to take them for everything they're worth. But Lenny is a, is a believer, he's a Christian. And he said to himself, what good would that do? So on the day of the court hearing, Lenny went into the courtroom and sat next to Luke and his family. And someone said to him, hey, you're on the wrong side. And Lenny said, no, I'm not. And the prosecutor, who was going to throw the book at Luke, wound up advocating for Luke. And in the months and years after that, Luke and Lenny worked together and spoke at schools and organizations to help teens fight depression. That's kingdom peace. That's forgiveness. It's justice. It's fulfillment. It's delight, but it comes at a cost. It costs that Palestinian farmer, it costs that Israeli mother, mother, and it costs Lenny Ross. The question we have to ask ourselves are, are we prepared in our own hearts to bring that kind of peace, to be true kingdom peacemakers? Are we prepared to love one another in that way? Because Jesus says in John 13 that how people will know we are his children is how we love another. A divided church cannot heal a divided world. We can't be peacemakers until we ourselves have peace with God. Thomas Merton, who is a monk and theologian, said this. 
we are not at peace with others because we are never at peace with ourselves and we are not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. Remember, the first beatitude that we learned was blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, part of being poor in spirit is knowing that we start because of our brokenness, because of the fall, with a built-in hostility toward God. Romans 8 says as much. He says the natural state of the human being is enmity toward God. Now, I had a problem with this for for a long time. I thought to myself, I I don't hate God. I may be neutral. I may be indifferent. I may be disobedient or I may be a lot disobedient, but I don't hate God. But upon reflection, I remember how I felt when I read some of the Old Testament, uh, the times that God seemed angry and wiped out a whole group of people, or the time when, when some poor chap named Uzzah accidentally fell and touched the ark and God killed him. And that was my excuse. I was like, I don't want to be a part of a God that does that. And even now, Sometimes I'm having a bad day when things aren't going the way I want them to go. When I don't want something that, that I want God to give me, do I take consolation in the fact that Jesus died for me, that he gave everything for me? Do I take consolation in that? Or do I pout? And do I get angry at God? I love uh, Tim Keller's story about an interaction he had with a teenage uh, girl at one time, uh, she was upset because uh, she told him no one was asking her out, and Tim reminded her of the gift she had as a Christian, uh, that she was saved, and that she was going to go to heaven, and she had the Holy Spirit in her who was going to guide her and teach her, and she said to Tim, well, what good is that if I'm not popular? And how often does that reflect us? What good is God if I don't have a spouse. What good is God if I don't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or that job I want or, or that income I want or if that person got elected? That is enmity against God. And until we recognize it, you know, until we see it until, inside ourselves, until we recognize we are poor in spirit, we cannot have peace with God. But when we do, when we do see it, when we recognize it in ourselves, that's when the healing begins. That's when the love starts pouring in. And that's when God starts to do his work. And that's when we can be peacemakers. So what does it mean to be a peacemaker? What does it mean to be a kingdom peacemaker? Does it mean keeping the status quo? Does it mean never making waves? Well, that can't be true because our model is Jesus, right? And Jesus quite often made waves. Jesus quite often confronted people in gentleness, in respect. He tried to help people by confronting them. He spoke the truth to them in love. So it can't be about 
never making waves. But Jesus also loved everybody and he loved his enemies. So what Tim Keller says is, if you are a true peacemaker, you are going to be both persecuted and attractive. You're gonna draw people in and you're gonna upset people. The next beatitude, in fact, after this one, blessed are the peacemakers, are blessed are those who are persecuted, persecuted because of righteousness. Because if you are a true peacemaker, if you're living a, a holy life, if you're asking people to love their enemies, if you're trying to bring different groups of together, people aren't gonna like that. And you're going to be persecuted. But at the same time, if you are loving your enemies, if you are loving all sorts of people, you're gonna attract people as well. So it's both and, it's not either or. Being a peacemaker means you're gonna be persecuted sometimes and you're gonna draw people to you because that's what happened to Jesus. And Keller goes so far as to say this, if you are only one or the other, that means something isn't right. You're not being a true peacemaker. Meaning, if you're only being persecuted, you're probably being obnoxious or fanatical or judgmental in a bad way. And we see that happen in the church, right? And if you're never being persecuted, it means you probably never challenge anything. It probably means you're always going with the flow, even if something is clearly wrong. So peacemaking means both persecution and drawing people in. Because remember in Acts 2, the early church found favor among all the people. So peacemakers, they bring healing and they bring disruption. Peacemakers bring disruption in order to bring healing. Peacemakers disrupt cycles of violence, of hatred, of revenge. Peacemakers go into to spaces of conflict where the risk is, where the bullets fly, where the light doesn't shine. The mission trip to Mexico is peacemaking. Peacemakers want for their enemies what they want for themselves. We want for our enemies justice, joy, and fulfillment, just like we want for ourselves. Peacemakers are renewers. They are rebuilders. They are looking into the future of God's new creation and bringing it with him into the present. They're not optimistic, they're hopeful. The difference between hope and optimism is that hope is something you do. Hope is something you live into. Gonna ask the worship team to come back up. Peacemakers are also listeners. Peacemakers always listen first. Jesus listened to everyone he encountered. He said, I hear you, I see you. Peacemakers are other-centered. You're not looking to what you get out of the situation, if this person is interesting to you or not. You're asking yourselves, what, God, what is God doing in this person's life? And how can I bring the peace of God into this person's life? How can I help them make peace with God? The God of all peace wants to bring wholeness and healing to each and every one of us so we together can bring wholeness and healing 
to the rest of humanity. The British, another Brit, theologian George MacDonald said this. He said, Jesus died not to save us from suffering, not to save us from injustice, definitely not to save us from justice, but he died to save us from ourselves. He died to save us from being unjust. He died so that we may live as he lived. So if you could stand with me now and let's pray together. We're gonna pray and then, um, actually first I'm going to read some words that our prayer team received. Our prayer team is going to be up here and if this resonates with you in, in some way, uh, please feel free to come up and receive prayer. What the prayer team felt uh, from Second Chronicles, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. God wants to fight your battles with you and for you. God wants to touch those who are struggling with conflict and contention at work or if you're being falsely accused or wrong in some way. God is saying, let him fight the battles for you. Press into him. Keep your eyes focused on him. Also, God is restoring those who, who feel broken right now, who've been broken. He wants to touch those who've been struggling with, with a loss, a personal loss. He wants to restore hope to hope to those who are losing hope and dreams to the dreamers. God also wants to touch anyone with liberation. Liberty issues are gut issues. So let's pray and usher in God's presence. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are God of peace. You are a God who wants to renew, who wants to rebuild, who wants to restore, who wants to heal. We thank you that you are not a God who brings peace the way the world or the culture brings it. You bring true peace. You bring forgiveness, you bring reconciliation. So help us, Lord, this morning for any residual or ongoing anger or hostility we have toward you. Help us see that you are in control and that you love us so very, very much. Help us be filled with that love so that it can overflow to others and that we can be peacemakers. In Jesus' name, amen.